Let us pray. What a pleasure it is to be here this morning and sing praises to your holy name. We recognize that you are the God of the universe. You control all things. And we join with the psalmist in wondering, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the wonderful grace that we, we get that is always sufficient. Now we commemorate that grace in giving, not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, today, today is the first Sunday of the month, and as is our regular procedure, we have a new memory verse for the month of August, it's on your bulletin. If you have a bulletin, open to the cover. If you don't, turn to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And I don't want to hear any groans from anybody. It's so long. <laughs> We've kind of helped you by breaking it down here. See that? Isn't that make it a little easier? <laughs> an honest person you have the if clause and then you have the result clause when, when, in, in the Greek we call that the protesis and apotesis the, the protesis is the part that sets up the condition and the apotesis is the part that has the result if you meet those conditions. So, let's look at it. Let's read it. You'll either say it or read it out loud. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their sins, wicked, well, I, I got used to saying sins. Okay. Wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Boy, if there was ever a verse that we need to focus on and tell others about, this is it. Okay. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my way. Let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the option of naming any unconfessed sins to God the Father, which, in, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are the royal family assembled together in obedience to your word. We are here not just because it's a routine, but we hunger for your word. We, see, we seek you eagerly. We want to learn how to execute the Christian way of life in this, the church age. So we pray that you will help us to focus and concentrate. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 10. 
Joshua chapter 10. What we're doing is reviewing Joshua chapter 10. In fact, we've reviewed the first 10 chapters of Joshua. And what I find out, or what you will find out as well, is the review covers a lot of things that aren't in the the first notes. Actually, what this does is give me another shot at what I taught earlier, and I see things that I add and I think are important. I I confess to you right now, these notes on Joshua chapter 10 don't even... Don't even match what we have in the original. Well, they're similar. But I just, as I, every time I study and I go to God's Word, I see more things. I, I, I see more applications. I see things that uh, I, I wish I would have said before. And so here's my chance. So it, a lot of people, when you hear a review, they uh, already heard it. No, you hadn't heard this. wouldn't matter anyway. We need to review When you were in school, probably the things that you remember are the things that your teacher taught you so often. You got so sick of it. And yet, look here. Now, however many years later it is, you still remember those things. So, in Joshua chapter 10, we see that Joshua was being very successful in battle. Indeed, they had made an error in trusting the Gibeonites, and they made a vow unto God that they would not be harmed. Even though they were deceived in doing so, they made the vow and they stuck to it, and God is going to bless them. And just as you might think what happened is things went from bad to worse. It was bad enough that they made a vow and went against God's command, and the people were on their case. That was bad enough. The next thing you know is the Gibeonites are coming to them for help because now they are under the umbrella of the protection of Israel and they're going to be attacked by their fellow Canaanites because they are considered traitors and they went to the side of the enemy. And now there are five kings who are surrounding uh, their city and trying to destroy them. They send word to Joshua And Joshua didn't form a committee and have uh, a lot of negotiations or anything. He knew what to do. They had made an oath under God and they were going to keep it. They moved out 25 miles at night, marching uphill over rugged terrain with no notice. Just got their weapons and moved out. Did you hear that? 25 miles at night, uphill, going to a battle. And then when they get to... uh, uh, Gibeon, which was the, the place, the, the city, then they had to engage in battle. But of course, you know they were successful because they were depending on the Lord and the Lord was going to uh, see that they had victory. They chased the Gibeonites, I mean, excuse me, the uh, Canaanites, uh, uh, they, they have initial victory there at Gibeon, and then they chased the Canaanites for another uh, several miles. And they had a little help along the way because God was using some heavenly artillery in the form of hail. I don't know. It didn't say how big the hail was, but I'm sure it was a pretty great size. Uh, We have in in Revelation a similar event 
of hell coming down on those unbelievers. And it says they weighed 100 pounds apiece. Now, if you get hit by a 100-pound block of ice coming out of heaven, I don't know how, much, how fast it's coming, but I don't think you're going to live to tell about it. And another thing that's interesting about this is the hail was only hitting the enemy. It was coming down what appeared to be random, but the only enemy that was killed were the Canaanites. Victory is, seems to be inevitable. But what happens? Joshua and his troops are exhausted. Night is about to fall. And so Joshua goes to the Lord and asks again for supernatural help. He asks God to just stop the sun in its orbit so that he can have enough daylight to finish the course, to finish the job. Now, in this portion of Scripture, most people, only thing they see and focus on is the miracle that God stopped the sun. And then you have debate. Did he really stop it? Or is this a euphemism? What, what is this? No, he actually stopped, stopped it. But that's not really what we're going to focus on because I don't really think that's what the Bible is trying to communicate to us is how great our God is that he can stop the sun. Well, who other than God can stop the sun anyway? And how big a deal is that for God? I mean, He created the sun, the universe, and everything in it out of nothing, stopping the sun in orbit for, um, I don't know, maybe half a day or a day. Uh, that's nothing. He can do that before He even gets up for breakfast. And so that's not what we, I think we should focus on. What we should focus on is why did Joshua see the need to do that? He had been victorious. And we, we can deduce that he needed the light in order to finish annihilating the Canaanites because those that were left were familiar with the terrain in the country. When night fell, Israel would have had to have a bivouac in the middle of Canaanite territory. These Canaanites could have regrouped. They could have surrounded the Israelites and by morning light they could have attacked and wiped them out. So, Joshua goes to the Lord. Now, what I'm going to do from this scenario is to take what was happening in a physical sense to Joshua and relate it to a spiritual sense to us. So, first thing we're going to do in that endeavor is to recognize that in, in combat, in war, it's either... Kill or be killed. Right. And so he understood this. He understood that he needed this supernatural help. He went to God for it and he got it. Now, for us, we, we live in... Actually, what we do is have spiritual combat. And in spiritual combat, uh, we don't uh, die spiritually, uh, that's impossible because we have been born again and we are uh, spiritually alive and we don't die spiritually. But what, what we do is that we can become spiritually defeated. That's the thing. You can become spiritually defeated in your soul. The target of the angelic conflict is your soul. 
your thinking, your cardia, what goes on between your ears. That's where the combat is. And living as a spiritually dead person, um, excuse me, as a spiritually defeated person, what's, what's, the big, what's the big deal in that? I mean... Uh, you can be spiritually defeated and not even know it. In fact, most people, most believers are spiritually defeated and they don't even know that they are. So being spiritually defeated is more of an attitude than anything else. It's the attitude that so many believers have, and that is, I'm going to heaven, heaven is great, so what's the big deal? That can sneak up on anyone. It is a spiritual adolescent that has that attitude. And how, how devastating is that attitude? Well, living as a spiritually defeated believer can be worse than losing physical life. Is that something I just dreamed up? I mean, most people think, what's the worst that could happen to you? Well, the worst that could happen to you is for you to get killed. You die. You're off this planet. You're toast. You're worm bait. You're just gone. That's what a lot of people think. But that's not what the Bible says. And so, Joshua had to be spiritually alert. He couldn't get careless. He couldn't get sloppy. And so he recognized he needed help. He wasn't going to be physically defeated. He called on God. The same holds for us. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10, And for those of you who don't have a Bible, I'm going to put it on the board here. By the way, that's where all this was going on. There's Gilgal up there by the Jordan River. Here, this is where they went that 25-mile march at night. This is where they clashed with the Canaanites that were trying to, to kill their brethren for being what they considered traitors. And then they're chasing them all the way down through here. See, and it's over along in this area by that time that he needed, Joshua needed God to stop the sun in orbit. Oh, that's not where I want to go. Hold on just a second. I brought up the wrong one. I can erase it. That's my erase button. Okay, here it is. See, what confused me is we have the map still. And uh, here's where we're going. Here's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 27. Now, what are we doing? I'm going to demonstrate from the Word of God that being a spiritually defeated believer is worse than physical death. Now, Hebrews chapter... Uh, 10 is a very controversial part of Scripture, but it need not be. I'm just going to 
spend a, a short time here going through it, and you can follow it and see that reading it in context, uh, you, don't, you don't get off track. A lot of people think this is talking about uh, believers who can lose their salvation. We know that's, that can't happen. So let's start with verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, the word there means confidence. It's imperative that you keep the confidence you have in God and His Word and His promises. For, look what we have next. For He who promised is faithful. There are thousands of promises in God's Word. He keeps them all. And then he goes on to say, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Let's consider this. We as believers, what can we do to encourage other believers, to spur them on into better, bigger and better things with regards to uh, doing good things? Look what it says in verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together, this assembling together is talking about what we would call going to Bible class or being in church like we are today. The word, Greek word ekklesia means the assembled ones. So, this is what we are to do. Not forsake our assembling together as is the habit of some. Well, even back in that day, there was a problem with uh, Bible class and church attendance. Now, this whole thing is written to believers. You can't miss that point. I'm going to point it out as we go to show you the pronouns that it's talking about believers. And so, there were those that were distracted. They really didn't get it. And they were not assembling themselves together, which is what God commands us to do. So we're going to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. You see, it's an encouragement to other believers. As we see these, these seats filled with other believers that are hungry, they're thirsting for God's Word. It encourages us to do the same. It's encouraging to see you all here, that you recognize what your purpose on earth is all about. It's encouraging to see the army of God, the believers, to increase not only in number, but also in their spiritual effectiveness. But we're encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? What is he talking about here? Well, some people will say, and it, I'm not saying it's just one answer, Certainly, it could be referring to the day that Jesus Christ returns. What do we call that, by the way? The rapture. That day is drawing nearer and nearer. We don't know when it's going to be. Now, I've said this before. You've heard other people say it. It could happen today. Jesus Christ could return before this message is over. And people go, oh, excuse me, hit the mic. This was gone. Oh, yeah, I've heard that, so what? You know, it's not going to happen. You don't know that it's not going to happen. That's why this is a challenge. It's, a, it's, it's an encouragement here. that Not forsaking assembling together, as is the habit of somebody, encouraging one another all the more that you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near could also be our death. 
For all of us will certainly die if Jesus Christ doesn't return. And we don't know when we're going to die. That's not a really um, popular subject. But we're all going to die. And he's saying, look, the time is so short. You're going to die. So we recognize this. So let's encourage one another. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth. Now, before I go any further, sinning willfully. Now, remember, this is talking about believers. And let me say this as well. Nobody sins by accident. Oh, I, I cheated on that test, but it was just an accident. It just, it just was a phenomenon. And you could, you could say that about any sin. No, we don't sin by accident. Willfully sinning means that you sin, you continue to sin in direct defiance to God. It's like you're thumbing your nose at God. That's the kind of sinning that it's talking about here, and it's done by a believer. And furthermore, with regards to this sin, uh, sinning willfully, a lot of believers try to protect themselves by putting this willful sinning in the category of other people, but not themselves. They think, oh, willful sinning. Yeah, I know what willful sinning is. Willful sinning is cheating, lying, fornication, drunkenness, stealing. These are all, those are the willful sins. I don't do any of those things, so this doesn't apply to me. I don't do, I, I, I'm way above all that, so I don't sin willfully. Oh, really? Hmm. Well, you know, there's other commands in the Bible other than forbidding the things that I named and so many others. What about the command to study to show thyself approved unto God? That is a command. What about the command to grow in grace and knowledge? What about the command, which essentially is what this is, to don't forsake the assembling of those so that you can encourage others? What about that one? What about the command to stand firm for the faith? And I could go on and on. We have the majority of believers today who are sinning willfully. They don't do all these more obvious sins, but on the sins that are in defiance of God's purpose and plan for them, direct contradicting God's commands, some of them I just named, they are willfully sinning. And I can really emphasize the point because when it's talking about uh, willful sinning, uh, it, it comes comes after we already are supposed to assemble ourselves together. You, you put the two together, see? So, what can we expect? For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. 
What does that mean? Does that mean that Christ's sacrifice on the cross didn't, didn't make payment for your sins? Of course not. This isn't, none of this is talking about a, a salvation, eternal salvation. It's not salvific. It's talking about believers. When it says that there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, it means if you go on sinning as a believer, post-salvation sinning, defiance, defiance especially in some of the sins that I named that are not so obvious, you don't have to study to show thyself approved. You don't have to grow in grace and knowledge. You don't have to do any of these things because you have volition. But if you, if you disobey those commands, just as if you were fornicating and lying and cheating and all the rest, then this is what you can expect. There's no sacrifice for sins that covers those. If you're going to willful sin and defy God, there was no sacrifice that the Jews could do to cover that sin. And I'm talking about post-salvational sins. So what could they expect? But a terrifying expectation of judgment and a fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Wow! Who are the adversaries. Hmm? The Christians who are sinful or willfully sinful. Willfully sinful. Those are the adversaries. We're talking about believers. And I'm put, see, I'm preaching to the, to the choir here today. All the believers that could be here and decided not to be here, they're the ones that need to hear this. Well, you need to hear it too. I need to hear it too. But you're here. God will hold them responsible for not being here. See, if they were here, they might have some encouragement. It might be some motivation for them to say, hey, I better get serious about this spiritual life that I have because the time is growing short and I can't just coast and say, well, I'll be in heaven someday because there is hell to pay from God if you defy Him and willfully disobey His commandments. They missed that point. Verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the Mosaic law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now what he's bringing in here is a physical representation that they would all understand. According to the Mosaic law, if you committed a capital crime and there were two or three eyewitnesses to it, what happened? You were executed without mercy. Didn't matter who you were. And it wasn't done ten years later with a little sissified needle in the arm. It was done by stoning. Can you imagine being killed by rocks, stones, Horrible death. Now, after he set up that physical uh, analogy here, he's going to compare it to a believer. Now, this is in red because this whole point was going to this. Because I said, if you are a spiritually defeated believer, then you're going to experience something worse than physical death. And here's the proof. Look at this. How much... Severe punishment do you think we deserve who has trampled, trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which 
he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. Now, some of you might think, man, that's not me. I haven't done all those things. And probably the Jews were saying the same thing. You know what in context what, he, what that's, this is referring to? These were Israelites. They were Jews who after the cross continued to sacrifice animals. And you know why they did it? Because if they didn't do it, their neighbors would scorn them. They might be disowned by their own family because they were no longer part of Judaism. They were now believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they would get ridiculed. They would be alienated from all the people, or most all the people. And so in order to dodge all that, they said, it's okay. I mean, surely God doesn't expect me to withdraw from my friends and go through all this. So he's, God is just going to have to accept this. Now, do you understand the slap in the face that is to God? For Jesus Christ to go to the cross. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was in the same chapter, chapter 10, that talked about Christ making one sacrifice for all time. And now you have these Israelites that are continuing to sacrifice animals as if Christ's sacrifice didn't do the job. And so for the sake of expediency and to not rock the boat, they just join their friends. These are believers in Christ openly, defiantly, willingly sinning. So what's the gist of it? Look at verse 30. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's a quote. And again... The Lord will judge His people. His people? Not only the Israelites, these are believing Israelites. These are His children. Look at the last verse here, verse 31. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I remind you, this is written to believers, not unbelievers. How serious does God take a person, a believer, who is spiritually defeated? I wish I, I, wish I could compact in about three more hours what's in my soul, but I want you to take what, what I want you to know that is, again, in this Hebrews chapter 10 that is following, and it is linked directly to Joshua chapter 10 for what's going to happen next. In verse 24 of Joshua chapter 10, don't, don't, don't go there. I'm not ready to go there yet. But I just want to tell you, something odd happens. The five kings from verse 1 that said, we are going to amass and go against the Gibeonites for siding with Israel. Those five kings are going to, be, are going to hide in a cave and Joshua's too busy to deal with them then. He says, just put rocks over the cave. That'll, that'll take care of them until we have time to deal with them. And then after the victory, he goes back and he opens the cave. These five kings come out and he tells his men, his, his elite men, the officers. 
he has these men lay down and he has his officers put their foot on the neck of these kings. Odd. Why would he have them do that? It is exceedingly significant, but we're not there yet. we got other fish to fry before then. So, are you beginning to understand the correlation of our spiritual life that is involved in the angelic conflict and what Joshua was going through in a physical way in this combat? We are engaged in spiritual combat Every single day, and we either have victory or we have defeat. Isn't that the way it is in war? Do, do, do nations in warfare just kind of say, well, we've been fighting for uh, quite a while here. Why don't we just take a little siesta? Why don't we coast a while? We'll get back to this. Some we'll we'll put it on our agenda. Let's 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 make a date where we'll continue this war. And until then, we'll just kind of relax. Does that happen? What makes you think it would happen in the angelic conflict? Every single day that you wake up, that day in your life is either going to be victorious or it's going to be a day of defeat. It all depends on your attitude, your attitude towards. God and His Word. Reminds me, I'm looking at this bulletin right in front of me. It goes right above this Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. I'm so glad I put it there. I hope that you remember it. It says, your attitude towards the Bible is your attitude towards God. Spiritual victory doesn't depend on having a good day, by the way. Have you ever had just a real good day and you just feel on top of things? And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's superficial. You know why? It's transient. It's just a boop, just a little blip on the radar screen. It's there. And then, what's next? It's either adversity or just the daily grind. The daily grind. I mean, if you have a regular day, and don't we all have regular days? You have to have a regular day. In your normal routine. And you think, well, <laughs> you say it's going to be either victory or it's going to be defeat. This is just a regular day. I get up, I do my routine, I go to work, I go to school, I, 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 I eat supper, I, I watch the news, I um, go to bed. I mean, what do you mean spiritual victory? The spiritual victory doesn't depend at all on your day. In fact, you can have a good day where everything goes your way and still be defeated spiritually. Now, some of you are going to have a hard time thinking about when you had the last really good day. Is that true? Maybe, maybe not. But we don't measure our day whether it's good or not based on our circumstances. It's going to be a good day whether we are spiritually victorious or not. And our being, sometimes when you are spiritually victorious, you just feel, wow! You feel like Rocky at the top of those steps and you're just, da 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 and you're ready to go. You feel like that sometimes. But sometimes you might just feel, It's not based on your emotions. It's based on whether you executed God's plan for your life in that day. And God's plan always requires certain things. Prayer. Being in His Word. 
conversing with Him, thinking about Him. How many times, maybe there are people here, maybe you are one of the people that can go a full day and not give God a thought. Didn't, you're so busy. You have so many things to deal with. You don't have time to think about God. Maybe your day started off really crummy, and by 6 o'clock everything turned around and you started having a pretty good day. But you never thought about God. You were just dealing with all the things. What kind of day? Are you spiritually defeated or spiritual victory that day? You're defeated. See, I'm urging you. This life is not about the details. It's about our relationship with our Maker. And you have to think about Him. If you had a day and you went, the first half was crummy, the second half, boy, it really changed our being good. Did you thank God for that? Or are you so enmeshed in the details of this world that you can't even give God some thanksgiving for what He's done? You can have a rotten day when everything goes wrong and still be victorious spiritually. Now, that, that's a hard sale, isn't it? We have the young people's class. Have some of them are here. First thing I do is ask them, okay, give me a number. And when I say give me a number, they know what I'm talking about. I want a number between 1 and 10 how their week has gone so far. And it's always interesting. The girls are over here, the guys over here. Girls outnumber the guys way, way many, more many, uh, a lot more girls. Anyway. I would say, okay, what's your number? The, uh, the girls usually seven. Get a lot of seven. Every once in a while, I'll get a, a four. I've even gotten a three. And I've gotten as high as a nine. I don't know if I've have I ever had. Did, did we ever get a ten? No, we haven't got a ten yet. I guess they're waiting for the Lord to return. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so I'm asking that, and when, they, when I ask them the number, I don't know what they're thinking about. When somebody, if it's a 7 or 8 or 6 or something like that, I don't ask them anything because that's what I expect. That's a normal day. But when I ask them, uh, I ask them when they have a 3, I say, uh, a 3? What happened? And they always tell me. My dog died. You know, I, had, I failed a test or, don't ever tell me this, but, you know, lost my boyfriend or girlfriend or, anyway, it's all based on the circumstances. And then I, I use the whole rest of the time trying to train them to be able to spiritually have a 10 no matter what that number is with regards to what happened in their life experientially. Joshua couldn't afford to be spiritually careless or sloppy. Because if he did, he and his whole company would have been wiped out. He couldn't afford it. You know something else? We can't either. That's the message. You think you can coast? You can't coast any more than Joshua could. It's easy to forget that we are engaged in spiritual warfare and to get spiritually sloppy. You know... We don't, we don't intend to get careless, do we, spiritually? 
We don't intend to be spiritually sloppy. It just kind of sneaks up on us. We just kind of fall off into our old real comfortable wheel ruts of apathy, indifference. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. I'll get around to that someday. That kind of attitude. So it just kind of sneaks up. What we have to do is to aggressively and persistently seek after God. It's not just going to happen. If you're waiting for the day that your ship is coming in, I don't think it's ever going to dock. We have to aggressively, listen to this, listen to these words, aggressively and persistently seek God. And we, when we do that, you know what's going to happen? We're going to start having days where we have spiritual victory. So how do we do that? How do we aggressively and persistently seek after God? I'm pausing for you to think. I want you to come up with an answer. Does that mean give more money to the church? Does that mean go out and do more good deeds? You know what it means. Get in the Word and stay in the Word. That's what it means. You need to master the spiritual skills in order to not just survive, but indeed be a medicoy, a partaker, partaker in the wonderful, magnificent things that God has for those who get it, who grow up spiritually, who pursue Him. Spiritual skills are things like rebound, faith rest, the ability to pass the tests. For instance, one of the tests that probably you are all familiar with is the, there you go, (laughs) the people test. You know, I could get along really good with people if I just never came in contact with them. It's the contact where the rub is. I don't think any of us can get rid of, get, get away from people. Even in prison, they're locked up in cells, but they still have to mix with other people. And boy, they really can't get along there. Okay, what are some of the signs of being spiritually defeated. This is a list, by the way. Lists are good to write down. So you'll remember them. Some of these signs that there is spiritual either sloppiness or carelessness. That means leaving God out of the mix. The first one, this is a category, is being distracted. None of us wake up as believers and say, you know what, I think I'll, I'll relegate this day to being my day of being distracted. 
I'm not going to think about God. I'm not going to worry about studying my Bible, reading my Bible, going over notes, listening to a tape, getting on the Internet, any of that. I'm just going to leave God out. I'm going to be distracted today. I think this is my day, designated day of distractions. I hope none of you have ever done that. I don't think you have. We don't purposely do it, but we do get distracted. Now, I want you all to come up with one way or... One way that we're distracted, one of the most prevalent ways that we are distracted. What? Work work is one. Bad news. That's good. What? Politics. Oh. <laughs> TV. Problems. What do you got back there? Phone. Yeah. Tech, uh, devices. Especially the kids. I mean, when I see kids together, they're not standing around talking to each other. They're all standing there. They're like that. What happened to talking? Anyway, that's good. That's some on my list. I have some that I have on my list was a job. Um, I, I guess a busy schedule. They all kind of covered that. How? But you missed the one that's on top of my list, and we just went over it. People. Yeah. People are a distraction, especially the people you hate and the people you love. If you really hate somebody or you really love somebody, that can be a big distraction. Does that, did I say destruction? Distraction, excuse me. That, I didn't mean to say destruction, but it really was pretty good. How about school? You young people, can you be just consumed with school? How about parents with their children? Everything in the world must step aside, including God, when it comes to people's children. These are all distractions. You know, when another sign that we are being spiritually defeated is when everything is going good, We like to take the credit. I got this under control. That's, that's, that's our old sin nature. That's, and when you're spiritually defeated, that's what you're going to be prone to do. You're going to be prone to do those things. But when things come apart, we don't like to take the blame, do we? It's not my fault like this. I think politicians take a degree, they get a degree in taking courses on that. Is taking the credit when it's going good and it goes wrong, something else. Okay, you know what else? As spiritually defeated person, Bible study gets put on the back burner. Bible study gets put on the back burner. That's how you can tell if you, it's a sign of being spiritually defeated. Oh, okay. I know what I'm doing. I think. Maybe. Yeah, here it is. Okay. Just talking to myself. Just bear with me. I've got a PowerPoint that I wanted to show you. Okay, here you are. 
See, you hit F5 and it's supposed to blow it up. Okay, this is a, a visual that I made a while back. It was a little fatter when I made it. I don't know what happened. That was a circle, but it still will suffice. When you put Bible study on the back burner, what happens is all of these exigencies here, I've got storms and fires and bills and war and loss of health and crime and accidents, taxes, lies, mechanical breakdowns, rude people. You could add probably a hundred more of those. It's us pressing in, trying to get to the prize. This is your soul in here. And when you have this shield of Bible doctrine around this soul, then you have what this says right here, an RMA. And an RMA is a... Oh, love to hear that. That's great. A relaxed mental attitude, which means you have confidence. You have confidence in God. You have courage towards man. You have strength. You have happiness. Everything that you want in your soul is there. These aren't penetrating and getting into the command post of your soul because you have this shield of doctrine around it. What do we have? Well, we have up here at the top, rebound. Y'all know what rebound is. These arrows are going to penetrate sometime and we're going to go berserko and that's when we, what? Acknowledge our sin. Uh, Here we have promises. We know the promises. By the way, that memory verse we had for today is a promise. War. <laughs> Seems like we always have war, don't we? We just have ongoing wars. We have an ongoing war against terrorism. We have an ongoing war against drugs. An ongoing war against population. Uh, no, not population. Uh, drugs. <laughs> you would think population. And we're not winning any of them. Loss of health can get in there. Here we have logistical grace. Remember we went over that recently? If I, if I gave you a test, I said, I want to know five different types of grace. Can you, get, can you pop them out for me? Well, I don't know. Honor code for the... We are royal ambassadors of the church age. Royal, the honor code. Unconditional love. That has to do with what? What test? The people test. We have to love people unconditionally. Oh! I'd rather not. Don't laugh. You'd rather not either. Before you get out of these double doors, somebody might offend you and you might want to say, well, let's put this one on hold. It's the unconditional deal. Well, I'll get to that later. No, unconditional. We can't do it. But the Holy Spirit, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can do it. We can be nice to people who are ugly to us and grin and say, have a nice day and mean it. The essence box that goes along with promises and all. Faith rest, X plus Y plus Z. These are all things that shield your soul from all of the, the, the bad things that can happen when you are spiritually defeated. Now, I'm just about out of time, but I'm going to show you one more visual. Would you like to see what happens when this doctrinal shield is let down? When something really penetrates this doctrinal shield and gets into your soul, 
Do you want to see what happens? No? Okay, well, we'll just shut the... Huh? Are you ready? Not a pretty picture, is it? Look what happened. You're in the cosmic... This says dynosphere. We would, you, we would say you're in the cosmic compound. Y'all would understand that. All that confidence now goes into confusion. All that strength turns into a weakness. You're a believer. You're going to heaven, but you are a loser spiritually. I've had people leave the church. I dare you say that Christians are losers. I don't say it. The Bible says that. I can show it. It doesn't matter. Gone. Minus H. What is that? Un- unhappiness. Now, I want you, I'm not, just look. I, can, you, can y'all see that all the way in the back? Can y'all see these words here? All right, I'm going to give you just a minute to look at that and see which one you can identify with the most. Huh? Well, let's see. I'm trying to find one I can't identify with. Huh? Yeah, that's be on DVD. You can't see it clearly over there? You need to sit over here. <laughs> okay. Which would you rather have? Huh? What does it take to go from this to this? Well, yeah, Bible doctrine, but right here, that's where you start. Yeah, you got to learn and apply. Oh, I just didn't get to where I wanted to get today. But I'm not. I, I told myself on the way here. Do not rush. I find myself sometimes being in a hurry to get somewhere, and I don't even know why. I know where I'm going, but I don't know why I'm in a hurry. Just ride with me in my little old truck someday, and you'll know. Why are you going so fast? You guys ever hear that from your better half? Slow down. Why are you in such a big hurry? I don't know. I just always am. I'd like everyone please to bow your heads. We have a great God, don't we? Seedingly, wonderful, majestic, stupendous, but He is a just God. He is a righteous God. Just as you saw, judgment falls on believers who willfully sin and defy Him. His judgment falls on unbelievers even though Jesus Christ has paid for their sins. His righteousness will take its toll in His judgment. But you don't have to be concerned with it because today you hear the good news. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He went to the cross and died for your sin. He was buried. He was resurrected. And now He offers the free gift of eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. You don't have to do anything other than receive the gift by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're no longer trusting in your feeble good works 
but the perfect work of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ on the cross, who paid the penalty for your sins. And in that moment that you make that decision, you don't have to say it, you don't have to do anything, God's reading your mind right now. When you say, this is when I'm going to start trusting the Lord and His perfect work rather than mine, is the day that you're born again. Your ticket to heaven is guaranteed and you have a wonderful future to look forward to. Father, we pray that this will challenge us all. This isn't just for the fringe group of Christians who are defiant. This, re re this is speaking to us. So we pray that we will take the challenge to redeem the time, to, to adapt our routine in such a way that will be pleasing in your sight. And we pray this all in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.